Okay, so I got to tell you, this week I got really humbled and I just sort of felt really old, okay? I'm doing this uh, message series on love and relationships and I feel like I got some expertise in that. I've been married, you know, 22 years now, listen to people. But I just started feeling really old because I was really excited about today's message. I, I've been listening to music and what you hear in music and media about relationships, and I've been titling the sermon around songs. And so I came up with this great title for this week, and I went in to see Dave Seeley. Dave and I are close to age range. And you know, I went to see him and I said, Dave, I got the greatest sermon title for this week. I've always wanted to preach a sermon title, uh, a sermon on this title, Loving, Touching, Squeezing. And I said, man... It's just like the greatest song. I love that. You know, you know the song. If you grew up in the 70s and 80s, you know Journey, you know. you know. Uh, and Dave goes, man, that's a great song. I said, I love that song. I said, I love that song because, you know, it's a song about how at one moment he's loving and touching and squeezing his sweetheart. Next minute he gets his heart broken because she's loving and touching and squeezing somebody else. And then he pulls out the dagger and says, but one day you'll get yours. Because one day your lover will be loving, touching, squeezing another. And I was feeling really good about this, you know, for my sermon title. And, 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 and so I walk down the hall from his office and I go to Dolly and Dolly goes, yeah, that was cool. That we, they used to play that at the skating rink where I went, you know. And, uh, uh, and so then I go down the hall and there and there's Chris. The millennial on staff, you know. I said, hey, Chris, man, I got this great sermon title, Love and Touch and Squeeze, and, you know, from Journey. And he goes, he goes, never heard that song. I said, what do you mean you never heard that song? He said, well, I've never heard it. I mean, they didn't play that at the skating ring when you were growing up, and it looked like I was from Mars, you know. So I realized at that moment that I got to get, I got to get more hip. I gotta li- so I started listening to, you know, Kelly Kay and Ben on 99.7 or whatever in the morning, and I realized... They play a lot of Taylor Swift. And so I decided, you know, I'm going to start, I'm going to do some research on Taylor Swift. And I realized she doesn't know anything about relationships. <laughs> and I started thinking to myself, I started thinking to myself, if, if, our, if our students are listening, and now Taylor Swift may be old now, I don't know. I mean, I may even be back behind that, you know. But if you're listening to Taylor Swift and getting advice from her on relationships, I mean, she's really cute, she's really pretty, she's really smart, she can sing, she's really rich, she's really famous, but she really stinks at relationships. And I don't know why anybody would date her. Why would anybody date Taylor Swift? I mean, every song is this heartbreak song. So I, I titled this one, Picture to Burn. Just listen to the lyrics. She says, I hate that old stupid pickup. You never let me drive. You're a redneck heartbreak who's really bad at lying. So watch me strike a match on all my wasted time. As far as I'm concerned, you're just another pitcher to burn. I, wow, that's really negative, isn't it? You know, but then I thought, you know, I remember when I was a teenager and, you know, I had a picture of my girlfriend, you know, and my heart got broken. You know, I don't have that picture anymore. We've all, we've all had the experience. I thought, well, maybe it's just one song. No, it's a pattern with her. She wrote this other song, it's called The Story of Us. And it's very sweet in the beginning, but then it goes really dark. She says, I used to think that one day they'd tell the story of us and how we met and the sparks flew instantly. And people would say, they're the lucky ones. 
Now I'm standing alone in a crowded room, and we're not speaking, and I'm dying to know, is it killing you like it's killing me? Yeah. I don't know what to say since the twist of fate when it all broke down and the story of us looks like a tragedy now. Now, that's not really funny, but it speaks to what a lot of people feel. You know, you go look for Mr. Right, go look for Mrs. Right. They turn out to be Mr. or Mrs. Wrong. And the story of us turns out to be a sad story. You know, so, so I, I'm, I'm listening to music. I'm, t- I'm thinking it's hard to know how to have a relationship these days because everything we get is, it's got such mixed messages about it. And, you know, I'm riding along in the car. I'm, I'm listening to Ben and Kelly Kay. And I got my granddaughter in the car. And she loves Justin Bieber. Me, not so much. And she, she's kindergarten, but she, she knows some of these songs, and she's singing along. And she's singing this song about animals, 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 just like animals. And she's in kindergarten, and I'm going, oh, that's a really sweet song. You know, it's all about, it's all about going to the zoo. And so <laughs> I look it up, I look up the words, and I go, oh, my gosh, my granddaughter's singing a song. Listen, Baby, I'm praying on you tonight. Hunt you down and eat you alive just like animals. Animals, animals. I mean, this is not about the zoo. And she goes, he goes, he says, he says, uh, maybe you can think that you can hide. I can smell your scent for miles. That's not about the zoo. We're just like animals, animals. And I'm thinking, I remember, you know, when my... Why don't they sing songs like the wheels on the bus go round and round, round and round. Now they sing just like animals. There's no wonder. We're so confused about relationships. We get so many mixed messages about what love is and what love is not. And last week I pointed out that one of the reasons that we struggle so much with the understanding of love is that our culture gives us these really hurtful definitions of love. And that one of the myths that we have in our culture is you'll be happy if you find somebody to make you happy and you find the right person. But that's that's the world's way. God's way is very different. God's way says... You don't look for the right person and then fall in love and put all your hopes and dreams in the right person. What the Bible teaches us is that love is not a feeling, it's a decision. It's what you do. It's who you're becoming. And that the Bible teaches this pattern about love and relationships is that you become the right person. You walk in love. And you fix your hopes and dreams upon God who is the source of love in life. And so this week I was thinking about that some more and I went and looked at that very familiar passage where Paul talks about love in in 1 Corinthians 13. Because when you look in 1 Corinthians 13, he talks about what real love looks like. Not what the world's version of love is, but what real world looks like. And it, and it made sense to me in a way that had never made sense to me before when you look down at the end of 1 Corinthians. Because at the end of 1 Corinthians, he talks about being childish. And I paraphrase this. He says, in, in my mind, when I was a child, I talked about love like a child talks about love. 
I thought about love like a child thinks about love. When I fantasized about what love would be like, I fantasized like you would expect a child to. But when I grew up, I put those childish ideas about love behind me. You know, it's really interesting that we grow up in so many ways. We can be very successful in our careers. We can get a great education. We can grow and improve in so many ways. But how often we can grow into our 30s and 40s and still hold on to a very immature and very childish understanding of love. So you read that, and Paul says, you got to put that away. And, and then you back up, and it makes so much sense. What's he talking about? You go back up to verse 4, and look here at verse 4, where he talks about what love is like. He says, this is real love. Love is not a feeling how somebody makes you feel. Love is a decision. It's an action. It's a verb. And he gives us this great list. If you want to know what real love is and who are we becoming, who are we becoming, how are we becoming the right person, he says real love is kindness. It is patience. And he gives us a list of what not to do. It is not envy. It is not boast. It is not proud. Those three things basically mean when I look at the other person in my life, I'm celebrating who they are and I'm humbling myself to lift them up above myself. They're more important to me. I'm sacrificing my needs and wants to take care of them, to lift them up. I'm supporting them and I'm not proud. I don't let my pride get in the way of my relationship. I honor, love honors, it does not dishonor. Love is not self-seeking. I'm not looking at what I get out of it for me. You look at uh, the childish notion of love is how the other person makes me feel. I hope you found somebody that makes you happy. That's not the point of love. Love is about making somebody else happy. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It's forgiving. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It rejoices and celebrates what's beautiful about the other person. And it ends with this really positive note. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So, so the great thing about this list is, well, when have I ever experienced this? The beautiful thing about what Paul's saying is, you've already experienced it. Where? That's why you need God. Because when God's at the center of your life, you meet patience and kindness. Someone that's putting you first, that honors you and forgives you and rejoices in who you are. Isn't that beautiful? You know, you know so, so my point this morning is, the first thing I want to say to you is, is that God wants you to be a great lover. What he's not saying is it's, it's, it's easy, it's easy to hook up. It's easy to have chemistry. But it's not about chemistry. It's not about sexual attraction. 
It's not about how somebody makes you feel. Being a great lover is a decision that you make to become the man or woman that God wants you to be. And, and the great thing about being a great lover is it doesn't matter whether you're married or single, anybody can, you can, God wants you to be one. Why? It's because, don't you know that God just takes such pleasure in having a relationship with us and us having a relationship with each other that God designed us to be in communion with each other. That's why God created the first male and the first female was to be in a relationship to enjoy each other's companionship and friendship. And life is meant to be lived in relationships with other people. And so God wants you to develop the skills so that you can make those relationships joyful rather than painful. The second thing is, you know how you become a great lover? You become a great lover by finding a great lover, having a great lover. Who is our great lover? Our great lover is God. You see, so often, this is what our culture teaches. This is the lie of our culture. If you want to be happy, find your happiness in another person. Look for another person. They'll make you happy. If I could just be in a relationship with that person, I would be happy. If that were true, Taylor Swift would have nothing to write about. <laughs> but what the Bible teaches, if you read Scripture, is that there is only one person who should occupy the center of our heart and our being, and it is God. God doesn't want to be at the center of our heart and being because God's an ogre or a tyrant but because God wants what's best for us. And when I become healthy on the inside, that's because God lives with me on the inside. And when I invite God and his Holy Spirit to fill me, what happens? The hurt begins to get healed. The heart begins to grow. I begin to look at people in a different way from a different point of view. I begin to put others first as God puts me first for him. And then what happens? It begins to change everything around you. It's so easy, but it's often the last place we look. And the great news about this is that when God's at the center of our life, anybody can be a great lover. Anybody can become a great lover. Look at that word, become. It's a choice. It's a decision. So let's go back to that list. I want you to look at the list from 1 Corinthians again, what real love looks like. I want you to take a moment now, look over that list of patience and kindness, honoring others, forgiving, rejoicing, trusting, hoping, persevering. I want you to look at that list, and I want to give you an assignment, and I really want you to take this seriously. Look at that list and think. If I just picked out one word on that list, what would that word be that I need to grow, how I need to grow? Is it kindness? Is it patience? Is it honoring someone? Think about it. Pick that one word and focus on it. And then what I want you to do all week long is I want you to take that word and I want you to write that word down every day and think, how, God, can you grow me in this way? Let's use the word patience for an example. Take the word patient and then do a Google search on patience in the Bible. Get your Bible out and look at everything the Bible says about patience. What is God going to say to me through the word about what patience means? And then put your life up against what the word says and say, okay, here's, 
here's something for me to work on. The Bible says a lot about patience. Take one of the parts of the Scripture, read the Scripture, and then, you know, anybody can do this. You don't have to know anything about the Bible. Just get it out and just do a word search in the Bible about any one of these words, and the Bible will help you do that, and you'll begin to put together a pattern. You'll wake up every day and think, how am I doing in this? Begin your day in doing an inventory. If you just spend your week on that one word, watch what happens. That's how you become it. It's by doing the work. If you don't know what the word is that you need, ask your wife. She will tell you. <laughs> ask your friend. You know, friend, with, if you're in a relationship with one, wouldn't it be great to compare words? Well, let me just lift out a couple words. You know, one of the words that I think is really important is the word kind. There are a lot of relationships that are suffering today because there's not kindness in the relationship. Let me tell you something. If you are single and you're dating someone right now, they're going to be kind to you, but don't be fooled. Look at how they treat waiters and waitresses. Look at how they treat the people at the grocery store. Don't pay attention to the kindness they're giving to you. Pay attention to the kindness they give to people who are around them. Then you'll find out who they'll be for you. The problem with a lot of relationships in terms of kindness is that unkindness kills romance. Harsh words kills romance. Love. In a lot of relationships, you have two people that want to be right. I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. Well, you can be right or you can be happy. <laughs> sometimes it's more important to be sometimes it's more important to be happy than it is to be right, to be kind than right. It says keep no record of wrongs, okay, for example. Love keeps no record of wrongs. That's what God does for you. God keeps no record of your wrongs. God has shredded the file. But some of you have a filing cabinet in your home. And every time you get in an argument with your significant other, you open up that file cabinet and you pull out the folder and say, well, I know this is just what's occurred, but in 1985, this occurred. And you're keeping a filing cabinet in your house filled of everything that was ever done wrong. And every time there's an argument, you pull out the files. Let me tell you, you can't build a loving relationship if you've got a filing cabinet in your home. You need to stop filing and start forgetting. Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians that God keeps no record of wrongs, that God has thrown away our file. If God can do that for us, can't we do that for others? Midas word is the word rejoice. I want to rejoice more. Instead of focusing on the, the lack of cheese my wife put on the quesadilla, I'm going to celebrate, I'm going to celebrate that she's made me a quesadilla. And I'm going to say this is the best quesadilla I ever had, even though if it doesn't have enough cheese. Because that quesadilla was made with love. If you don't know about the quesadilla, go back and listen to last week's message. I'm going to rejoice. In the beauty of her. The truth, the truth is who she's becoming. 
See, there's a great Hebrew word. I discovered this word last week, actually. It's the Hebrew word ahava. And you know what that word means? The word ahava means basically, it means two, it means it's two words that mean the same thing. It means give and love. It can mean love or it can mean give. I put it together and said, to love is to give and to give is to love. And that's what love is. Love is not what you get. It's what you give. It's how we give. And it defines who God is, that God gives for us. Anybody can be a great lover because great lovers are great givers. So look at this. I, you know, I'm not one really for romance movies. And probably The Notebook wasn't my favorite movie of all time. Fortunately, I married a woman who likes movies where things get blown up, so I don't have to suffer it that much. <laughs> but Nicholas Sparks, that's true actually, Nicholas Sparks wrote this book called The Notebook. And there's this great line in there. He says, the best love is the kind that awakens the soul and make us, makes us reach for more. It plants a fire in our hearts and brings peace to our minds. And that's what you've given me. That's what I hope to give you forever. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, think about it. Who, who in your life has, has made your heart, you know you've got real love when someone just makes your heart come alive and awakens your soul and spirit. It's what God does for us, that when God's in your life, he awakens our heart and soul and makes us come alive. Now think about this. If you want to grow in love, let this be your challenge. To know that the people that you love in your life, that you're making their heart come alive. I want to say something to our students. You guys are all sitting here, and you're not listening to me. I know that, right? But... But let me know, I want, to talk to, I want to talk to all the boys that are here right now and the girls. Listen to me. The Bible says love is patient. And what I want to tell you is do not be a hurry, in a hurry to grow up too fast. Because if you listen to the world and what the world tells you about love, in your 30s and 40s, you're going to be heartbroken and in broken relationships. And we don't want that for you. So be patient. Be different. Don't be like the culture around you. Be patient and wait on love. The second thing is, is the word honor. Is, it says love honors other people. And all the boys that are in this room today, I want to tell you, the greatest gift that young men you can give to a young woman is to honor her and to respect her. One of the problems we have in our world right now is that young men and women do not honor. We hear the stories again and again of athletes, who treat women poorly. And, and in the end, you know, we, we celebrate young men who, who talk about young women in, in a bad way. Let me tell you, talk about and honor young women and girls the way that you would talk about your sister or your mother or your own daughter. And I promise you, you may feel like you're losing in the beginning, but someday you're going to be the hero. And there are wonderful women all over the world who would choose you because you know how to honor them. Am I right? Amen. All right? Choose that. So we've got two minutes left, and I'm going to wrap this up. So you're single. 
You don't need anybody to be somebody. You already are somebody. And you're married and you're struggling. Put God at the center and don't, and don't try to fix the other person. You just do the right thing yourself. You just become who you're supposed to be and just put that hand out and believe it can get better. I want to end with this scripture. 1 Corinthians 5.17 says that we can become new people in Jesus Christ. It doesn't say just become new people. It says in Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ is in your life, he can do for you what you can't do for yourself. And he will power you up and love you up and heal you up and bring you up and raise you up and coach the best in you because he will show you what real love is. And so if you're struggling in your relationship or your marriage, I'm going to tell you, when two people who love each other and it's just not working out put Jesus first in their marriage, I promise you it will help and bring you up. Don't give up. Give him a chance. So you say, well, David, you know, my spouse doesn't care about that. Doesn't believe like that. Okay. You just get him on the inside of you and you love him or her the way Jesus loves you and they'll see what Jesus is like and you just keep putting that hand out. You just keep putting that hand out. You just keep putting that hand out and just keep loving and serving and giving and just watch what God can do. And some of you in this room today, I want to tell you, if you want to get all this relationship right stuff, you got to get him inside. Amen. You got to let Jesus fill your heart. And it's about you surrendering yourself to him and saying, come inside, live in me, heal me. I'm preaching now. Yeah, I'm preaching now. This is tough. You ought to go to my house after I preach the sermon and live with me. I'm setting a high standard for myself. But I wake up and I pray every day, God help me, and God will help you too.